Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name is Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out those wings. And in place. Because this is Snakebird. Snake Bird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to another episode of the podcast. In today's discussion, we're examining an outcast from his own family, a leader of worthless men turned into the commander and head of the nation of Israel. It's a neat story with lots of wisdom to glean. And I have to ask Stephen, who are we profiling today? Can you even pronounce it? <laughs> we'll see. Yes, it is another great day to gather once again with you over the airwaves. And we hope you're ready to get into this awesome OT profile. Today's story is going to revolve around the character Japheth. J- I keep wanting to say J- Japheth. Yes. Jeff. Jeff. Jephthah. Yeah. Boy, if we can't get it right here, it's going to be a long haul. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Jephthah. Jephthah. Yeah, Jephthah. It's it's J-E-P-H-T-H-A-H. It's it's a doozy. It is. But he does, like Josh said, uh, he goes from being born into a a decent family to an outcast, back to a hero. And then, I mean, the story has a ton of of incredible ups and downs as we unfold so many different circumstances. Uh, We're going to see division, reconciliation, victory, then great loss. It's really a roller coaster of a story. Yeah, yeah. And it's a story that comes to us right in the middle of Judges, where we find the children of Israel have entered a quote unquote sin cycle of (laughs) following other gods, experiencing oppression and and a form of rejection from Jehovah because they turn their backs on him. Then oftentimes they cry out and repent. God raises up a judge to deliver them, and they finally start bringing uh, relief. And eventually, the cycle is that they fall back into idolatry. So rebellion, realization, reply from God, repentance, rescue, relief. And then just put put that in the the old dryer and just put it on repeat. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It it was a sad time for Israel, the time of the judges. Yes. Uh, Sin was tolerated more than it should have been in so many cases. And like you said, it was just that that cycle over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've mentioned this when we did another judge as a profile, but there's... Yes, we've touched on it in a few stories. There's a few verses where it says, and in that day there was no king in Israel, so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Oh, yeah. You know, which is sad because there was a king in Israel. It was... It was a theocracy. God was supposed to be their king and their ruler, but the people had kind of distanced themselves from him. And in the light of that, they were just flying by the seat of their own pants, oftentimes to their own detriment. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like – because Israel always had issues with rebelling and then God correcting and then all of that. But it seems like the time when they actually had kings, it was a longer period of space. But with the judges, it was these – it's like looking at tree rings. There's like (laughs) the times of good growth and and drought and all that. Yeah, it was a very concentrated time of them sinning a lot and getting corrected through judges and whatnot. A very sad time for Israel. And, and we're going to see some jacked up examples of, of how that plays out um, in the culture that they were in at this time with how uh, Jephthah is treated. But the the timeline we're sitting in here is about the end of the 12th century BC. So okay, nice, yeah, yeah. So I don't have a lot more prep than that. I I jump right into the story. Uh, Judges 11, isn't it, Josh? Yes, but I feel like in order to tell the whole story, you have to go backward. Well. 
You do it. Okay. Let's do it. If that's all right. Yeah. Well, I mentioned before that sin cycle, spin cycle, kind of just a joke. You know, now that I said that, I can't help but think of the guy that plays The Devil Goes Down to Georgia with his washing machine. Because it's like, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's a great Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, looking back, here's the rejection. And and this is found in Judges 10, 6 through 9. It says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord or in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreth and the God of Aram, the God of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years, they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead and the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. Israel was in great distress. So there's the rejection. Now comes the realization in verse 10. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, We have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. Reply. Here comes God speaking back to them. The Lord replied, When the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Mayanites... I don't know if that's uh, <laughs> if they put that on their egg salad. But uh, when the Mayanites oppressed you and you cried out to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go out and cry to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. Now here comes the repentance. Verse 15, but the Israelites said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Then they got rid of their foreign gods among them and served the Lord, and he could bear Israel's misery no longer. Here comes the rescue. The leaders of the people of Gilead said to each other, whoever will take the lead in attacking the Ammonites will be head over all who live in Gilead. And that catches us up now to Judges chapter 11. No, you're right. That was a good setup because that really pulls into play who's involved here and and what happened. Yeah, Yeah, well done. Looking back, I was like, I think... Even though I'd like to start right where it mentions him, we need a little bit of the... For sure. Yeah. Yeah, that that plays into it well, because we're going to see all of that unfold now. Yeah, as we now try to pronounce Jephthah. Yeah, Jephthah. <laughs> Jeff, Jephthah or well, Jephthah. Okay, I'll so say it one of two ways. I just want to mention that I know his name is a proper name, so it's not like it's a normal word that we use, but in it, it has... P-H-T-H. Yeah. With no vowels in between any of those. That sounds proper to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's going to be hard to pronounce for me to to say it the same way every time. So forgive me if I don't. And me as well. Yes. I'll say, uh, yeah, Jeff, Jephthah. Big J. Try try to hang on to the Jeff. (laughs) I tried that one time and you were like, I reject your... (laughs) (laughs) I was like, why don't we call him Smitty? And you were like, no. No. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call him Jazzy J. And you're like, <laughs> you call him that. Heretic. <laughs> All right. So Judges 11, uh, 1 through 3. I'm just going to go ahead and read that. Yeah. All right. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You're not going to get any inheritance from our family, they said, because you are a son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. So 
immediately we see that reflection of this sinful era where judges ruled because we, we got a family patriarch who partakes in prostitutes while married mm-hmm. and then allows his sons to take out the sins of their father on the illegitimate son who didn't commit the sin. Yes. And, and I know that this was a time where being a legitimate child, was it was highly important, but all things considered, this is still a really jacked up thing to allow and clearly a dysfunctional family, so they say. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, there's so many little details that are painted in just those three verses. Oh, yeah. Like, I love that they're from Gilead, but you're like, well, what's his dad's name? Gilead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That threw me off. That threw me off. <laughs> so you're from Texas. What's your name? Tex. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like Forrest Gump. Yeah. Tex. I can't remember where he was from. <laughs> that's Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Cleveland was from Oh, Cleveland. Yeah, yeah just, exactly. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It made me think of exactly that. That's hilarious. Um, you know, I, I think of Abraham and how he had to send Ishmael away. And I know it was a thing that they did back then, but Abraham's heart was so much different in that situation with how he still provided for him as he had to, because there was a line that needed to be drawn, but he still cared for yeah. him. And, and this was just, I, I saw this as, as a more jacked up situation and from the lens I saw it in. Well, and for uh, me reading it, I was like, okay, well, is he the firstborn? You know, because it said that his father had other sons with, I guess, the mom. Yeah. And if he was the firstborn, then he would have uh, at least some claim to an inheritance, but his brothers drive him out saying, you're not going to get any of that. Yeah. You know, and so that adds like a little bit of uh, insult to injury. Oh, yeah. Because now it's like, not only, you know, can you not lay claim to who you are, and not only is it not your fault, but you're not going to get anything in the long run. Oh, yeah. Uh, really jacked up. Which is kind of wild because what his name means is simply either he opens or whom or what God sets free. And it's like, oh, wow. yeah, God sets you free. Now you're free to get out of here. You know? yeah, <laughs> you're right. free to take a hike, you, you <laughs> son of a prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> a yeah. yeah. They come down hard on him for that. And something he couldn't have even, you know, had a, had a hand in. So Yeah. With his mom as a prostitute. Dude, I mean, there's just so many things stacked against him, and yet here he is. Uh, I love that it says that he's in the land of Tob. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but Tob, Tob, uh, it means good. So I was thinking of Wayne's World, <laughs> where Alice Cooper goes, uh, it's pronounced Milwaukee, which is Algonquin for the good land. <laughs> and Mike Myers' character goes, does this guy know how to party or what? <laughs> so somehow he's been driven out of his land, but he ends up in the good land. Uh, yeah. At that, least it's- That attracts gangs of scoundrels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess it's about 15 miles nor- east, northeast of Ramoth Gilead in the desolate area, which lay just outside of the eastern boundary of Israel and the northern frontier of Ammon. Yeah. And um, so mentioning the scoundrels, I, I kind of tried to do some study on that. It says the some versions call them scoundrels, some call them worthless men. Uh, some say that they actually weren't like criminals or anything. They were maybe more like poor people with no property and no employment. Um, that's just a speculation, but, uh, one commentator said that, that it's possible that he and his band probably operated in more of the manner of David and his group years later, uh, protecting cities and settlements from marauders and that they would 
even go out and possibly plunder different communities, but only those of the Ammonites. That's interesting because one translation I read said that they were a gang of marauders. Okay. So that's it's, – I wonder if it's one of those uh, Hebrew phrasings that could go either way. Yeah. Well, we'll get into this, but my question is how when the leaders of Gilead go, who are we going to choose to lead us? How do they have a knowledge about who he is and what he does? And and like, I have a very specific set of skills, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I wonder if, I mean, if it was a gang of people, they're probably well known. Okay. Yeah. I would I would imagine. Is it like the uh, the the red bandanas in um, Tombstone or something? Well, I would <laughs> imagine like if there's cities all around and there's a group of guys that's notorious for being marauding. <laughs> so dumb. Is that like the <laughs> marauding? The, the 1200 BC version of a biker gang? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I mean, right. I would imagine I would imagine word of mouth would get out when uh, there was a dangerous group of people wandering around. So I imagine that had something to do with it. Okay. Maybe. All right. Yeah, Maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Yeah. So when, when I was reading, it kind of came across to me as they, they weren't a good gang of people. Um, so I, one thing it reminded me of, and it maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but um, it, it reminded me kind of studies I've heard about, like in the inner cities where kids who have no family support system, they'll, they'll seek out groups of other kids who have no sense of belonging and they form gangs or whatever. Oh, sure. Um, some, and even though they're required to do like terrible initiations and whatnot, they still feel like they're a part of a family. And it made me think of um, this paradigm maybe playing out in Jephthah's uh, head when his own family rejected him, saying he was the least of his family. And yet here's this gang of marauders uh, who's elevating him as as their leader. And maybe it just made him feel like uh, the patriarch of his own tribe or something. Yeah. So uh, this is one thing I thought about. But may- maybe they were a, a gang of people who protected from marauders. That, I just read it weird, I guess. Well, they still did some marauding, <laughs> like according to what I was huh. reading, because they, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So when David lived in the land of the Philistines, he and his guys lived in Ziglag and apparently they would go out and uh, they would go and plunder communities and basically wipe them all out. So no yeah. one could go back and report to um, the king of the Philistines, Eklon or whatever his name was, that what they did. And so yeah. they were they were wiping out enemies of Israel just under a clandestine nature. So maybe they were still going out and marauding, but they were yeah. going to like various Ammonite towns and doing that. I, I don't if know. If I remember correctly, David was uh, – that was uh, like a season of rebellion in his life, wasn't it though? Uh, yeah, it was. I mean it was a very strange uh, time frame. Yeah. Well, it, there was high tensions it sounds like in this situation <laughs> yes. regardless. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so after some time had passed from from Jephthah's banishment, there came a time where Israel wanted to uh, reunite with him, didn't they, Josh? Yeah, uh, okay. Do you want me to read, pick up and read that? Yeah, yeah, let's take it off. I guess it's in verse 4, isn't it? Yes, and I go through 6, if that's okay. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Verse 4 says, Sometimes later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah (laughs) from the land of Tob, Come, they said, and be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. And um, one commentator, again, I was reading a few different ones. Somebody said that he felt like they tried to downshift their offer from ruler or a leader to commander. Okay. And uh, 
I mean, it was it was in a study Bible that I saw. So it was like maybe they're trying to kind of be like, uh, since you're not of high born or whatever, yeah, that maybe we can just get you in the door with less than what we would be willing to offer, like you know, Superman or whatever. It kind of had that feel as yeah. I read through the whole thing. Okay. It did because it was almost a, a back and forth of negotiating almost. Yeah, it, it had a feel of that anyway. Yeah. Um, and then in verse seven, he says to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? <laughs> the elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites and you will be head over all of us who live in Gilead. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> <laughs> I, I highlighted the word nevertheless because I think it's funny because it's like, yeah. now, 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 that's in the past. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we're prepared to look uh, past your less than optimal heritage. Um, we, we actually need you now. <laughs> yeah. So that's when it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's funny how the tables have turned. Oh, my gosh. Right? Yeah. And continuing, he answered... And said, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? Will I really be ruler? And the elders of Gilead replied, the Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him the head and commander over them. And he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Yeah, that's that's quite a back and forth yeah. and a tense situation, I would imagine. Yeah, and I kind of feel like he's like, I don't, I don't need just a handshake here. I kind of want it in writing. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> you know, because they end up doing, you know, they say something that's pretty strong, which is the Lord is our witness. And, yes. And if you're an Israelite and you kind of swear on either Jehovah or Yahweh, it it becomes pretty serious. I imagine the situation required that because, I mean, the way they sent him off, you know, your mother was a prostitute, get yes, out of here, you yeah, know? I mean, yeah. that's some hard feelings. Which is interesting because it says he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Mm-hmm. Mizpah kind of has a, a ring of uh, making a declaration to it because that's where Jacob and Esau were like, this is where we split. And, oh wow! You know, this is where you go that. your way, and this is where I go my way. And that's and, right. Uh, yeah, it's like this is Covenant Valley or something. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and then there's a reconciliation here. Yes, on the converse of that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now he's like, okay, let's get to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of like revisiting an old wound you swore you'd never mess with again. So I, I imagine it was difficult, and so that I can see why. You know, strong words of covenant like that would yes. be would be necessary. Yeah, yeah. And um, I feel like now that he's instated as a king, you know, or as a ruler, and now that he's kind of getting his footing, I I um, imagined uh, the Dark Knight where Joker goes like, and here we go. Because <laughs> right. um, if it's okay, I'll keep going. Yeah, go for it. Uh, then Jephthah sent messengers to the Ammonite king with the question. What do you have against me that you have attacked my country? And I just, I love the the singularity of it now that he's like in possession, you know, yeah. you've, uh, you've come against me and attacked my country. You know, what do you mm-hmm. have against me? And it's just like, now that he's in, he's invested, he's fully in, he's not like them yeah. <laughs> or they, you know, he's, he's not ostracized still and he's not on the outside. He's like in the middle of it. And then the king of the Ammonites answered Jephthah's messengers When Israel came up out of Egypt, they took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, or Jabbok, 
all the way to the Jordan. Now give it back peaceably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I, we got a property dis- dispute here. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. Welcome to land grabbers. Right. You know, still to this day, it seems to be a common excuse for invading neighboring countries. Mm. You know, yeah. I think of like the Ukraine right now, and even the, the whole Palestine and Israel situation. Yes, this seems yeah. to be something that's always uh, comes up. Yeah, I, I took off the word peaceably at the end of that last verse, and it's like, now give it back, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, well, and I think it's probably, it's kind of funny because it's like burned for years that they've lost this parcel of land. Oh, yeah. And now Israel's kind of at a weaker stance. They're like, finally, it's it's it will be ours. Oh, yes, it will be ours. Yeah. And uh, I really love how Jephthah replies here. Do you want to go ahead and cover that? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's basically not having it because <laughs> he sends messengers back to the Ammonites basically saying, no, things didn't go down like you're saying. And he goes on to lay out a history lesson of exactly what led to this point as far as this so-called property dispute. And uh, it, it was an original dispute with Moab that directly led to a connection with the Ammonites. And he really kind of reminds me at this point, and we can read it here in a minute if you want, but it, he reminds me of Elijah mocking Baal on Mount Carmel because he's basically, uh, he asks and tells them at the end of this history lesson, this land is ours because our God gave it to us and your God, Kimosh, gives you what you got. <laughs> and the big reason that was such a slap in the face was because Chemosh wasn't even the god of the Ammonites. It was the god of the Moabites, which the Ammonites and Moabites, they were two lineages that came from uh, Lot's sons, as in the nephew of Abraham. But the Ammonite god was Moloch. So Jephthah is saying in all of this, your older brother's god couldn't stop us back in the day, and your god's not going to stop us right now. Yeah. So you know he's, he's saying our god's real because he paves our way, and whoever's god is real gets the land. So it's just kind of... A, a gnarly slap in the face to the the Ammonites the way I read it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, it is kind of like revisionist history because it's like, um, no, that's that's fake news. <laughs> you know, let, <laughs> right. let's, let's cut through the propaganda. Let's set the record straight because he goes into this really eloquent history lesson. He does. Where he's like, okay, so you did have the land, but then you were conquered by the Amorites, yeah, and they took it from you, and then we took it from them. So technically, your beef is actually with them, yeah. You know, not with us. Yeah, it was it was a slap in the face. Yeah, and he goes on to say, like, you had three hundred years to claim it back. Why are you doing it now? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah, and then I love the fact that he says, "I have not wronged you, but you are doing me wrong by waging war against me." Let the Lord. The judge decide the dispute this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. So yeah. it's basically like where he said, yeah, now you you have Chemosh on your side. Let's put Chemosh versus Jehovah. Let's, yeah. let's see who wins this battle. That's how he kind of reminded me of Elijah in that. Yeah. Just say, you, yeah. Well, let's see who wins. And <laughs> yeah. Call down fire from heaven. Yep. You guys have all day. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I'll pray. And it's just one versus 850 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really did respect that that he knew what he was talking about when he laid out that history lesson. It's a lot to read, and I think it, I don't know if it would translate well just reading straight here, but but check that out. It's it's verses 14 through about 24, Mm -hmm. and it's really, uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty cool the way he did it. Yes. 
Yeah, and <laughs> I love if it's okay to move on. Yeah. Uh, verse 28, the king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent him. And I uh, I wrote his answer. It was, talk to Zibute, because the hand is off duty. <laughs> what he was basically saying is, we about to dance. Son. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Throw up your hands, let's dance. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, he's not, he's not listening to it. They, uh, and they're going to, they're going to battle it out. Yes. But we, we see in verse 29 that, uh, the spirit of the Lord, he, he comes upon Jephthah and he passes through Gilead, Manasseh, then through Mizpah of Gilead and heads straight for the sons of Ammon, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. It says that he advanced right away. Yeah. I mean, no dillying or dallying. I mean, just like, bam. The way it's laid out, it's like he just sailed through this. I yeah. Mean, the spirit of the Lord is with him. Yeah. And here's where it gets interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> if you haven't heard of Jephthah's story already, this is the part that you've probably um, know of. Yes, yeah. This is the main point people uh, point out with, with Jephthah. <laughs> yeah. Verse 30 says, And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the spirit of the Lord coming upon him, fantastic. And I believe in his life, that was a source of courage and foundation for the work that he was doing. And it, and you saw that because of that, he was not hesitating. He was advancing. And I also think um, desiring to make a sacrifice to the Lord, that's a great thought. Just really poor execution. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and um, it's a it's a very rash and foolish vow that, that – uh, is extremely damaging in the long run. Yeah, it's as it unfolds, we'll see see the, uh, the what what this the might have meant. Yeah, yeah and I yeah. say might because there's yeah, there's some talk on it. Oh but, gosh, um, it, it makes me think of of times in my life where I've really felt that God was working in my life, and it's almost where you get so excited and so in the moment of what God's doing that sometimes you can make some impulsive decisions that God isn't moving in. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if that's just not what happened here. Yeah, yeah. And- um, even the thought of like people that bargain with God, where they're like, "If you just do this, then I'll I'll do this for the rest of my life." You yeah, know? yeah. Impulsive decisions can lead to some bad stuff. So if you're if you're on a mountaintop high with God, you know, <laughs> let him lead. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Don't jump too too crazy with uh, impulsive decisions because I think that's what he did here. Yeah. Yeah, and so they do indeed defeat the sons of Ammon. And in fact, it basically says they kick their butts all over the countryside, doesn't it, Josh? Yes. <laughs> the way it's laid out. Yeah, yeah. It just lists all these different areas and it's like, here, 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 yeah. here. You know, <laughs> it wasn't like setback. No, it was just like, just a wash, like a, a big old tsunami. Yeah. Chased them from every corner. Yeah. Handled them in short order. Yeah. And then after they defeat the Ammonites, verse 34 tells us that uh, Jephthah approaches his house returning from these victories, and his daughter, his only child, comes running out, dancing and celebrating her dad's return, at which point Jephthah, his stomach had to have dropped because he remembers this vow that he made, Mm -hmm. which... 
burnt offering, your daughter comes out, this is a bad situation. Yeah. And the way that the NIV says it, it says, who should come out to meet him but his daughter? And yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it was anticipated. Yeah. And then it also, it almost seems like he puts the onus on her because he's like, oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I'm devastated. Yeah. And uh, I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. And I'm, I'm like, it's, at this point, I'm just sitting there and I'm cringing. Yeah. You know, because um, immediately one writer said this, when his daughter came out, he should have immediately said, I have made a foolish vow and it would be more sinful for me to, to keep it than to break it. I will repent before God for what I said. Yeah. I, I mean- I wish that's how the Bible read, you know, the the next few verses. Yeah. And I, I say that we just read through them real quick and kind of jump back on some of the things that the commentators say and whatnot, because this is this is a, a pretty serious situation. And it, it's something that bothers a lot of people, too, sure. including myself, as I've if as I've read it. Kind of finish the chapter and then give the thoughts. Yeah. Okay. I, it, yeah. I, that's what I was thinking. If If you're good with that, Josh. Yeah. Can I say one thing? Yeah. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5 verses 4 through 6 says this, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? And essentially, like even earlier in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it's like, let your words be few before God. Don't just speak up because you feel like you need to say something. Like, oh yeah, don't make a hasty vow. And I, in the case of Jephthah here, he just hand, foot, mouth all the way up. You know, he's tasting thigh. You know, yeah, that's how no far kidding. He stuck his foot up his mouth. Oh yeah, no doubt. So I guess let's just read it through, and then we'll kind of jump back and, and dissect what what may or may not have happened here. Yeah. So uh, verse 35, I'll start there. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Oh, my daughter, you have brought me disaster. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. So she said to him, My father, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you have said, since the Lord has brought you vengeance on your enemies, the sons of Ammon. And she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Allow me two months so that I may go to the mountains and weep because of my virginity, I and my friends. Then he said, Go. So he let her go for two months, and she left with her friends and wept on the mountains because of her virginity. And at the end of the two months, she returned to her father, who did to her just what he had vowed. And she had no relations with a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went annually to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite for four days in the year. So there's a few different things that just, it seems like a bunch of weird details in this in this section of scripture. So I've got to throw the question to you, Josh, did he actually sacrifice his own daughter as a burnt offering? But before you answer... Um, I think we've run a little long, so you might have to tune back in <laughs> next week <laughs> to hear the answer to this. And I'm sorry to leave you with a cliffhanger like this, but it's one of those things that's happened again. Yeah. How do we end a profile in a cliffhanger? Well, we're already at 40 some minutes and I feel like uh, we still have some more discussion on this character. So why don't we take a break here and we will answer this hot topic question 
immediately as we start uh, part two next week. That's right. All right, Snakebirds, always remember, whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, there's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus. Don't make rash vows and and be a snakebird. snakebird.